If you will, take your Bibles. Turn to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16. I'll tell you that there's only 22 chapters in the book of the Revelation. Chapter 19 starts talking about the celebration in heaven. And so we're making our way through uh, this prophecy uh, very quickly. Revelation chapter 16. Some of you would know this, some of you would not, but during the 20th century, that is, during the 1900s, in Southern Gospel music, there was a family group that spanned uh, probably 60 or 70 years. It was a Spear family. I remember Mom and Dad Spear back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and then around 60, Brock and Ben took it over, 60, 70, 80, 90, and their children took it over. A lot of great songs, but one song comes to my mind. The lyrics come to my mind today. Listen. In the midst of it all, in the midst of it all, I find hope that will never let me fall. Jesus heard my call and by me stood tall. And in him I stand complete in the midst of it all. When we get to Revelation 16, we are in the midst of it all. Because we have now gone through many judgments. We have gone through the seals and the, and the trumpets. We have, we have watched much happen as Jesus unfolds it that's going to happen in the future. When we get to this point, it's like God is out of patience. You see, since creation, God has shown His love. Since Calvary, He's shown His grace. For all time, He has shown His mercy. And now, please listen, rebellious man is about to experience his ultimate judgment. For those who only want to see God as God is love, there's an issue. I mean, God is love. He loved us in creation. He loved us in salvation. He loved us so much that He gave His one and only Son. But we cannot get around the fact that mankind as a whole, you and me, have been rebellious against Him. And mankind is on a collision course with Holy God. You want to know who He is? We're studying Amos on Wednesday nights, and we're in the fourth chapter last Wednesday night, and God tells us in Amos 4 who He is. He says, I am the one who forms the mountains. I am the one who creates the wind. Anybody here can do that? I am the one who reveals His thoughts to man. I am the one who makes the dawn out of darkness. Can anybody do that? I am the one who strides on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of armies, is my name. And just for good measure, he gives us a warning when he says, Prepare to meet thy God. Prepare to meet thy God. You see, the truth is, every one of us here will meet God. We may not like it, we may not like what the Bible says, but we better adhere to it. Because this sobering and this startling point is true. We better prepare to meet God. 
today man has rejected God and rejected his power, rejected his authority, rejected his salvation, rejected his son. Some, maybe some in this room, have decided that we're smarter than God. We know more than God. God would never do something like what we're being taught on Sunday mornings from His book. And and, and even if He wants to do it, do you know who I am? I can outsmart God. I can outtalk God. And when we get to the end, I can talk Him out of these things. For those who believe that, for those who just want to look on the love side of God and forget that He is holy and just, the end is not going to be pretty. As we arrive at chapter 16, we have a picture in front of us. If you were here last week, the temple in heaven opened. And it was filled with the presence of God. And it was so thick that no one could go in. And out of that temple came seven angels. They were hold seven bowls, some translated vows, but seven bowls that hold the final, ultimate judgment of God. Each of them are one-seventh of His ultimate judgment. When you read the end of chapter 15, you know something's about to happen. Today, I have entitled this message, Listen for the Tick. Can you hear it? With every tick of a clock, with every beat of your heart, with every step you take, with every move you make, you move closer, we move closer to God's ending this world, to Jesus' second coming. It's kind of like when I hear that tick, it's kind of like you hear on TV When you have the time bombs going off, they tick right up to the moment of the explosion. That's that's what we're looking at this morning as we have now finished chapter 15 and 16. It's like the time bomb is about to go off. Let's stand together and let's read chapter 16 of the book of the Revelation. Listen and follow along. This is indeed God's holy word. Then, John writes... I heard a voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and severely painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped its image. The second poured out his bowl into the sea. It turned to blood like that of a dead person, and all life in the sea died. The third poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. I heard the angel of the water say, You are just the Holy One who is and who was because... You have passed judgment on these things. Because they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, you have given them to, to drink, and they deserve it. I heard the altar say, 
Yes, Lord, God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Let's pause there just a second. How does the altar speak? I remind you back in chapter, I believe it was 6, with the 6th seal, that the 5th seal, that the martyrs were under the altar. Those are the ones who had been killed. So that's quite likely how the altar was heard. Verse 8. The fourth poured out his bowl on the sun. It was allowed to scorch the people with fire. And people were scorched by the intense heat. So they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. The fifth poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. And its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues because of their pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain and their pains and their sores, but they did not repent of their works. The sixth poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare a way for the kings from the east. Then I saw unclean spirits like frogs coming from the dragon's mouth, from the beast's mouth, and from the mouth of the false prophets. For they are the demonic spirits performing signs who travel to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Look, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who is alert and remains clothed so that he may not go around naked and people see his shame. So they assembled the kings at the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Then the seventh poured out his bowl into the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. And a severe earthquake occurred like no other since people have been on the earth. So great was the quake. The great city split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the Great was remembered in God's presence. He gave her the cup filled with the wine of his fierce anger. Every island fled, and the mountains disappeared. Enormous hailstones weighing about a hundred pounds fell from the sky on people, and they blasphemed God for the plague of hell because that plague was extremely severe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person in this room. And I pray that not one of us present has to endure what you're going to send our way. I pray, Lord, that in this room, instead of us being rebellious, that we'll be receptive. Instead of us being self-centered, we would be saved through the blood of your Son. Speak to our hearts. 
a word that we need to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last two words of that chapter are extremely severe. Seems like an understatement to me from all that I've read and all of our studies. For you see, the clock is ticking. The time is coming. And the Scriptures unpack what we're facing. I'm just going to divide that thinking into two thoughts today. Both we need to get our heads, our hearts wrapped around. The first we're going to speak about are the vials of God. These, uh, these vials were poured out pretty quickly. I attempt to close my eyes, and when I attempt to close my eyes, I try to see the picture that John must have saw. <clears throat> As he looked, I mean, he, had, he saw the temple open. He saw the smoke in the temple. He saw the seven angels. And each one of them had a bowl or a vial. And in that bowl or vial, I don't know how he knew it, but he understood that in those bowls and vials was the judgment of God. And then the voice came and said, get going. And so let's just look at those seven vials. The first angel, we're told, pours out his vial and their painful sores over everyone who has worshipped the beast, received the mark of the beast. When, when, that, when that is poured out, let me just kind of give you a feel of what this is like. We have, we have heard and witnessed that this disease called anthrax, all it has to do is touch your skin and you get bad sores. Some people call, think these sores are cancerous. Some people think these sores in the Bible are contagious. Whether they are or not is irrelevant. The deal is, is that they are on your epidermis. You've got a medical person right here, another medical person over there. All of uh, our nerve endings come on the epidermis. That's where it is the most painful that's where it gets your attention. You know, that's why when you gash yourself deeply or cut the end of your finger off, you can't feel it like you think you should be able to feel it because there are no nerves. But, but on your epidermis, it's more painful than you can bear. Also, I'll just tell you about these. These are kind of like and I believe it's Exodus 9, when Moses was, uh, was working with the power of God and, and, and sending the plagues on Egypt, he took a, a handful of, of ash and threw it in the air. And somehow God multiplied that, and everybody who got touched by that ash had painful sores. The judgment of God is beginning with these painful sores to get people's to get people's attention. Then the second angel steps up and he pours out his bowl and it turns the sea to blood. The sea to blood. Now I'll be reminded that a third of the sea is already blood. That happened in the second seal. Uh, be reminded that these bowls are God's third and final judgment. We've gone through the seals. We've gone through the trumpets. Now these are the bowls or the vials. The sea turned to blood. 
Why in the world blood? Well, once again, it's a repeat of something that happened in Egypt. I can offer you a lot of reasons, but could it be that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there is no forgiveness of sin? Could it be that the people who rejected the shed blood of Jesus are now having to live in it? Could it be that God is making a point with, with this blood? The, the fish life died. Those who refused to, to plunge into the cleansing flood are now being punished by the blood. It could be that whatever you reject today of God may be the very thing that you're forced to face in the future. Could it be that God is simply making a point in His judgment? But now this is not all the blood because the second seal, the second bowl tipped and then the sea became blood. The third bowl tipped and the fresh water became blood. So can you get this? Have you got this? At this point, there is no water on earth. Everything is blood. Clean water doesn't exist. Can you imagine the stench? Can you imagine the horror? Wouldn't you like just to avoid a world that is nothing but blood? We're just saying, oh, the blood. We never, we never need to escape, or we never will escape the reality that the blood of Jesus is the only thing that will cleanse us white as snow. The blood of Jesus is the only thing that will make us ready for heaven. It is the blood of Jesus that I believe that has been rejected by this world and now God is judging them by that very thing that could have redeemed them. Now for those who are tender-hearted, you're thinking all the water is blood. Man, that is just too much. I want you to not forget that God is just. Every time He... Every time he evokes, invokes punishment, it is proportionate. If you think about it in the Bible, in Egypt, where the children of Israel were in captivity, they needed a deliverer. And the Pharaoh thought, I'm going to cut him off at the pass. And so Pharaoh had all the babies, boy babies under two years old, to be killed. Do you know how they were killed? They were drowned. Generally they were thrown in the Nile River. And they were drowned. And then their carcasses. I'm not trying to be uh, mean. Their carcasses were eaten by the crocodiles. Isn't it interesting? That the Pharaoh tried to kill babies. By, and did kill babies by drowning them. Eighty years later. At the Red Sea. All of Pharaoh's armies were drowned. In the Red Sea. How about Haman? Haman built a a gallows to hang Mordecai. Well, there was a hanging that took place, but it wasn't Mordecai. Haman hung on the gallows that he built. King Saul was told to annihilate the Amalekites, but he didn't. And the Amalekites ultimately killed him. 
You see, the blood is run freely. There is no blood. There is no water on earth. Everything is blood. There's another reason, perhaps, for the blood. It's spoken of in verse 6. It's because that the blood of the martyrs during the tribulation runs freely. I want to say this to you, and I'll say it without apology. It is a dangerous, terrible thing. Listen to me, teenagers. It's a dangerous, terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Nothing evokes his anger like disobedience. The fourth, down in verse 8, the fourth angel pours the bowl out. It says, on the sun, and it's allowed to scorch people with fire. That's intriguing because if you followed here along all of the teachings in Revelation, a third of the sun is gone. But now the sun is burning people? I suggest to you that the UV index is off the chart. And I suggest to you that is because that the ozone layer is gone. And every time I preach this message, somebody wants to, so I'm going to answer it now. Somebody go, Brother Jerry, is this global warming? Is this global warming? Well, certainly the earth's going to get warmer then. And the, but I will say this to you, I don't know, and it doesn't matter. We find these things in the Bible and we want to pick it apart as to what it is and why it is. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I don't know whether the ozone has gone from human construct. I don't know whether it's gone naturally. I don't even know whether it's gone supernaturally. But that's irrelevant. The issue is now, according to God's Word, is that the radiation from the sun will now make its way to earth and roast every person here. And I might make a note here at this point. At this point, about half of the earth's population, some two billion people, are dead. Many of them have not been buried. So the earth is a wasteland. God did not create this earth to make a wasteland out of it. But he put us here and because of our sin. Death did not come to be until sin came into the world. This is on us. Just when you think you can't get it any worse, as, as you're all kind of depressed today, it does. The next angel releases his plague. Now, you've got this picture. Half the people are dead. Corpses all over the place. Earth is a wasteland. And the next angel pours out his bowl. And now, all of a sudden, it's dark. I mean, it would be bad enough to be in that, in that environment already, but darkness. You know what I've discovered in my life? We don't do darkness well. In fact, with the invention of street light, porch lights, night lights, electricity, many times we don't do darkness at all. I've told some of you that after leaving here in 74, I served a church in North Mississippi. That's almost a mirror image of what I of what I remembered New Hope to be. Well, it was out in the country like we are. We moved to Pensacola. Now, 
you don't have to go tell anybody that your preacher used this term, but they're real city slickers. They don't know anything about darkness. Well, we went up there, I carried the choir up there on tour, and uh, these teenagers, when it got time to go to bed and go to the house, they were confronted with darkness like they'd never experienced. And it was frightening. The darkness here is even worse than just turning out all the lights and the moon not shining. The darkness here is like it was in Egypt. So thick that you could almost feel it. You see, the truth is it's more than the absence of light. This darkness is like the absence of life. Scary. Now you would think, please listen to me, you would think, as you look on the screen, you think between the fourth and fifth um, plague, you would think, that if God would give them a chance, they would repent and come to Him. But I want you to look there in verse, in verse 11. Excuse me, go back to verse 9. They did not repent. Verse 11, they did not repent of their works. Verse 9, they did not repent and give Him glory. You see, we people, we men and women, we're a stubborn lot. We're selfish, self-centered, hard-headed, even arrogant when it comes to the things of the Lord. And I would say this to everybody in this room. If God's love doesn't soften your heart toward Him, God's wrath may not either. Romans 2 tells us that it's the kindness, the love of God, that draws us to salvation. God has extended grace for so long. And now the day is coming and it's passing. Five bowls poured out, two more. The sixth one steps up. Sixth angel steps up and pours out the bowl. And the Euphrates River, an 1,800-mile river, dries up. We could pull in Daniel. We could pull in many other prophecies and, and talk about how that riverbed is going to make a perfect a perfect. Uh, access point for the Valley of Megiddo. Some people think God just supernaturally dries it up. I have no problem with that. Some people think that that there's a dam built. I don't care. The important thing is is that the bed of the river is dry. And it becomes a super highway for all the armies to march in to Megiddo for the Battle of Armageddon. Alexander the Great looked at that valley and he said it's the most natural battlefield in all the earth. And it's here. It's here where the 20 million will face off against the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, some people think the 20 million could be China. Certainly that could be it. It could be, a, from what we know in modern day, it could be a collection of armies from a lot of places. But here's what I want to tell you. If you're listening for the ticking, the time's getting close. There's nothing left on the prophetic clock before this all kicks off. Where we are in 16, the seventh angel steps up and he pours his plague into the air. 
It's interesting about the air because Satan is called the prince of the air. Seems to me that God has saved this one for last to remind Satan of who is really in charge. When this plague is poured into the air, all creation groans as there are rumblings, lightning, thunder, and an earthquake. Scripture says it's more devastating than any other quake that's ever happened. The great city, Jerusalem, split into three parts. Destroying other cities, causing islands to disappear beneath the surface. Mountains to collapse. Hell begins to fall on the people that are left. I was here, I guess it was a couple of years ago, we were having our senior adult thing when hell came in and it was on the golf ball sides. I can't even imagine what it would be like. hundred pounds. The judgment of God. The question is, who can stand? Who can stand against something like this that our God does? And the answer is nobody. The vows of God, the final judgment. And I will just say, everything that happens in chapter 17 and 18 is a direct result of what we've just shared. But I want to move from the vows of God. And I want to end with the voice of God. How long has it been? How long has it been since you've heard the voice of God in your heart and life? How long has it been since you sensed Him speaking to you? Oh, He's still speaking today. Don't let anybody tell you God's not speaking today. Did you hear him this morning when you got up and read your Bible? Did you hear him last night when you spent time in prayer? Are you giving him enough time to speak to you? Or is your prayer life like, God, I need this, I want this, Lord, if you'll just send this, you'll touch this, you'll take care of this. Amen, see you later. You're not ever going to hear his voice. It's like talking with somebody. Give them a chance to speak to you. How long has it been since he's spoken to you life and help? He wants to speak into your life every day. Even in the midst of all of this judgment and the vows, we hear his voice three times. The first time I'll call it the voice of of origination. Now you can put another term on it. It can be instigation. It can be uh, uh, initiation. It can be your first voice. But we see it there in verse 1. He says to the seven angels, he says, Go and pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. This is, please listen, the voice that I, I want you listening for It's the same voice that Abraham heard. It's the same voice that Elijah heard. 
It's the same voice Moses heard, Isaiah heard. It is even the same voice that Jesus heard when he said, This is my when he heard, This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. God has spoken in history, through history, to give a new life, to give a new heart, to give a new direction, to give a new destination. He is the God who says, shout it out. And now he's telling the angels, you go pour it out. The voice of God, which is a voice of love today, drawing you to himself. It's a voice of love today, but then it becomes a voice of judgment have you ever thought about judgment from God's perspective? I mean, when you've read, the, we've read this, and I know we have young people and adults that are upset when they think about this scenario. Can you imagine God's heartbreak at having to judge His crown creation? He didn't make you nor me to be condemned. He made us for fellowship. He made us for salvation. He didn't make us to destroy us. He loved us so much that He sent Jesus to change us, to redeem us, to secure us. Yet because we remain so stubborn and selfish and centered and self-centered, His judgment is coming. I implore you, hear His voice today. Do not leave this place without responding to His voice. It's a voice of origination. It's also the voice of affirmation. In verse 15, He says, look, I'm coming as a thief. And then He gives one of the seven or eight Beatitudes. He says, blessed is the one who is alert and remain clothed. So that he may not go around naked and people see his shame. There is a direct correlation when he says, Blessed are those who are alert between this beatitude and the story that Jesus told of the virgins. If we remember, half of them were not ready. Half of them did not make it in the door because they were not ready. He exhorts us to be ready for the return of Jesus. Blessed are those who are prepared. We need to be dressed at all times. He's given us His armor to wear, to stand against the forces of evil. He tells us to get ready. He tells us to be ready. He tells us to stay ready for His coming. Do you have your eye on the eastern sky? Are you looking for Him to come? No, I know He's coming, but it's not going to be today. In an hour, you think not, He'll come again. I never really thought He was going to come. I love singing the songs, Eric, of the... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to wake you up. I love to sing the songs uh, uh, of, of uh, the second coming in the 70s. They were great songs. But I never expected Him to come then because everybody's looking for Him. He's going to come soon because nobody's looking for Him. Voice of affirmation. Be ready. And then I conclude with this. The voice of consummation. I thought when I chose that word, I thought, we need to know what it means. That means when everything's completed. 
That means when everything's accomplished. That means when everything's finished. Okay, here's the picture. All the bowls are now turned. It's spilled out. All the bowls. And he says three words. He says, it is done. It is done. Judgment has now been poured out. I'm reminded that on the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. And people have so misunderstood what he said. I mean, think about it. Jesus had a tough life here. He's always being harassed by the church people. Then when they arrested him, they, they abused him, they spit on him, they pulled his beard out, put the crown of thorns on his head, beat on those on those thorns so they'd dig deep into his side. They scourged him where many people would die at that scourging post. Then they put nails in his hands and feet. And, and finally, people think he's saying, Man, it's finished. I don't have to deal with these people anymore. But that was not his message at all. He came to complete a specific task. And that is make a way for you and me to have eternal life in heaven. To be forgiven of our sin. And to have an eternal life in heaven. And to enjoy a personal relationship with God the Father. Here's God saying it's done. It's completed. It's final. The judgment's over. I hope, I pray that in the recesses of your mind that you can hear this ticking clock that's ticking toward judgment. If you can, chances, chances are it'll impact your heart and your life and what you do and your attitude. But there are people who will say, man, I can't hear the tick. Brother Jerry, you just kind of lost your mind. I, I, what are you talking about? I can't hear the tick. Well, some of our older folks will know this better than me, but before the advent of electricity and refrigerators, we used to have ice houses. And the way they would do some of these ice houses, they'd stack the ice on top of each other and they'd fill in the sides with um, sawdust so it'd be sealed. And the guy building that house, he lost his watch. Now, you remember, it's not a, uh, it's not a uh, uh, lead watch. It's a ticking watch. You Does anybody remember those? Anybody on up to remember those? And he couldn't find it. He looked all over and he got really frustrated. And finally, one of the young guys said, let me go look. And he was in there. For five minutes, and he came out with a watch. And the man was astounded and said, How did you find? I looked everywhere. How did you find that watch? And he said, I got in there, and I was real still, and I was real quiet, and I heard the tick. 
Brothers and sisters, we may not be ready. We may not be alert because we're not still and quiet enough to hear the tick. Because whether we like it or not, whether we want it to happen or not, whether we believe it will happen or not, the truth is, it's ticking down to the judgment of God. And what He does for us is He offers us a way to escape that judgment through Jesus. If you've never trusted Jesus, today could be the day that He changes your life. Let's pray together.